What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Guys, so what's been going on? Well, as I've said before, I'm waiting for this uh, podcast, Oh Mind, to start picking up traction. Uh, I got on Twitter, as I've said before, and that's going nowhere. People will look at my tweets. Some might even click on the profile, but they uh, it doesn't translate to anyone listening to the show. I got on Instagram and took the cheesy uh, beefcake pictures of a book uh, sitting next to a plate with garnish and eggs and whatever. Uh, very fancy, idyllic photos of reading a book, being a book lover. Because uh, I see another podcast do that. Uh, that doesn't translate in anything either. And actually, that has turned into a type of resentment where now my latest one is just a picture of the book I'm reading sitting on a toilet, because that's what I've been thinking of the book lately. Uh, waiting for it to pick up steam. And today I found out from my analytics on Anchor that the Republic of Lithuania has a listener in the town of Villainous. So that's pretty sweet. So to my Villainous listener in the Republic of Lithuania, welcome to the podcast. I see you. I see you. What else is going on since yesterday? Uh, nothing. Small battles are waged and won or lost uh, when you work from home and barely talk to people. I woke up this morning, got on my huddle call, then did nothing. I worked a little bit, then I cleaned my house. Hopefully no one I work with will ever hear this podcast. After that, had another conference call, which I sat on, and then was done with. Then I took a nap, so that was a thing. And then I went to my daughter's baseball game. And as always, she's doing great, so that's cute. She's small, smaller than the rest of the kids, which is adorable. Every time she catches a fly ball, I want to run out there and snuggle her. But uh, there's gnats is a problem. Sitting out there, we have gnats hitting you in the face and biting you all the time. And it's nonstop, and I'm not exaggerating. It's constant. They're hitting you in the face. They're biting you. They're hitting you in the face. They're biting you. They go up your nose when you breathe in by accident. They go in your ear, and it's ridiculous. I even went so far as to look it up, because I don't remember it ever being this bad before, and apparently there's a new thing called buffalo gnats. So I'm sure the local news has been reporting on that, and I've missed out on. But buffalo gnats are apparently making sitting outside horrible for people where I live. So, 
a nice couple were sitting next to me and they saw me struggling and they offered me their bug spray. Bug spray doesn't work on these gnats. But they gave it to me and out of desperation I did it and it worked like a charm. So that would be one of my minor battles. One. Uh, creepy guy across the street keeps coming and going uh, at, you know, two in the morning, things like that. He has a big white truck uh, that he parks out on the street because I think his wife or girlfriend takes the, the, the garage. Uh, he's moved on to parking outside my house. So if I were to walk down the sidewalk, I'd smack right into his truck. Uh, that's a minor battle lost. And that's the life of a man who never leaves his house. And I never realized, I think I have to name whatever this thing is I'm doing. Because thanks to Book Boys with Ben, uh, it's got to become its own little show or something. Ugh. So much work for something I'll lose interest in in just a few more weeks. But let's get back into the book. Also, there may or may not be inappropriate content for kids or really sensitive adults. It's public domain books for the most part that I'm reading, so um, I think it's probably pretty safe and you should probably shouldn't worry about it. But I don't read any of this stuff before I start doing the podcast, so I'm kind of learning about the book as you do. And uh, if anything really cool happens that's sexual in nature or involves a lot of swearing, I'm going to be pretty impressed, just like you. And maybe your kid in the back seat. And with that, enjoy the newest installment of uh, um, uh, Literature Glen. That's a name I'm sticking with. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to start calling these these little segments. Uh, I am Glenn Nuzzles. So where have we left off? War has broken out. Uh, Avis's dad doesn't seem to notice or care. He's too busy thinking it's really cute and cool to be around poor people. He's even dressing like them, which is adorable. Uh, and he feels invigorated and youthful, uh, studying them like rats. So, that's sad. All the small businessmen are dead. People ran for the hills, and uh, like I said before, unlike what we've learned from the Gulf Wars or in Afghanistan, that uh, you can go into the mountains and just get found, and you're dead, so that's a thing. Um, not a lot of research into this book, just a lot of speculation, I think, on his part. Uh, and that's pretty much it. People getting shot, lots of fighting, uh, the socialists are too scared to get too involved because of their sweet, sweet political careers. So let's dive in to chapter 17, The Scarlet Livery. With the destruction of the Granger states, the Grangers in Congress disappeared. They were being tried for high treason, and their places were taken by the creatures of the Iron Heel. The socialists were in a pitiful minority, 
and they knew that their end was near. Congress and the Senate were empty pretenses, farces. Public relations were gravely debated and passed upon, according to the old forms. Well, in reality, uh, all that was done was to give the stamp of constitutional procedure to the mandates of the oligarchy. Ernest was in the thick of the fight when the end came. It was in the debate on the bill to assist the unemployed that the hard times of the preceding year had thrust great masses of the proletariat beneath the starvation line, and the continued and wide-reaching disorder had but sunk them deeper. Millions of people were starving, while the oligarchs and their supporters were surfeiting, surfeiting, okay, on the surplus. Oh, that's surplus. We called these wretched people, uh, these wretched people, the people of the abyss. Well, that's a dramatic nickname to give them. And it was to alleviate their awful suffering that the socialists had introduced the unemployed bill. These are really not interesting bill names. But this was not to the fancy of the Iron Heel. In its own way, it was preparing to set these millions to work. But the way was not our way. Wherefore, it had issued its orders that our bill should be voted down. Ernest and his followers knew that their effort was futile. But they were tired of the suspense. They wanted something to happen. They were accomplishing nothing. And the best they hoped for was the putting of an end to the legislative farce in which they were unwilling players. They knew not what end would come, but they never anticipated a more disastrous end than the one that did come. The foreshadowing has been going on for two chapters now. I sat in the gallery that day. We all knew that something terrible was imminent. It was in the air, and its presence was made visible by the armed soldiers drawn up in the lines and the corridors, and by the officers grouped in the entrances to the house itself. The oligarchy was about to strike. Ernest was speaking. He was describing the sufferings of the unemployed as if with the wild idea of in some way touching their hearts and consciences, but the Republican and Democratic members sneered and jeered at him. And there was an uproar and uh, confusion. Ernest abruptly changed front. I know nothing that I may say can influence you, he said. You have no souls to be influenced. You are spineless, flaccid, and things. You pompously call yourselves Republicans and Democrats. There is no Republican Party. There is no Democratic Party. There are no Republicans nor Democrats in this house. You are lick-splitters and panderers, the creatures of the plutocracy. You talk verbosely in antiquated terminology of your love of liberty. And all the while you wear the scarlet livery of the Iron Heel. Well, now I gotta look up what a livery is. A livery is a uniform, insignia, or symbol adorning, in a non-military context, a person, an object, or a vehicle that denotes a relationship between the wearer of the livery and the individual corporate body. Often, elements of the heraldry... This is 
from Wikipedia, and it is almost unreadable. Relating to the individual or corporate body feature in the livery, alternately, some kind of personal emblem or badge or distinctive color is featured. Okay, well, that didn't help. That, uh, I guess that gives me a good little moment to take a break. Let's learn about a new book coming up. It's going to come out June 18th. Today is the 17th, so it'll come out tomorrow. Get to the bookstores and look for DK, Eyewitness Travel Guide to France. Let's learn about DK, Eyewitness Travel Guide to France. It's an award-winning guidebook. Discover France with this essential travel guide designed to help you create your own unique trip and to transport you to this beautiful country before you've even packed your case. Wander the world. Uh, class, museums of Paris. Step back in time at Versailles. Relax on the stunning beaches of Provence. Or experience the spectacular beauty of the Alps. The DK Eyewitness Guide to France covers the must-see sites and hidden back streets, so you won't miss a thing. I want to know what DK means. Oh, it's just a brand of book. DK Eyewitness. All right, fine. Gorgeous! All-new color photography, so you can imagine yourself there. Reasons to love France. Incredible architecture, world-famous vineyards, chic beach resorts. What will yours be, question mark? See France from a different angle. Over 30 pages of fresh ideas for exploring the spectacular country. A year-long calendar of events in France gives a selection of celebrations and festivals for all seasons. Expert advice covers the practical stuff. Get ready, get around, and stay safe. Detailed color maps. Oh, <laughs> uh, they're really pushing the color photography and maps. Help you navigate the country with ease. Expert tips to make memories that last. Where to snap and share the perfect photo. Take in stunning views and escape the crowds. It's not really like memories that last. It's just yours and personal if you're being told where to go and take a picture. I'll shut up. The most authentic places to stay. Eat, drink, and shop. Easy to follow walks and itineraries. Cover the whole country with plenty of eat and drink stops and road. Hand-drawn illustrations show the inside of the must-see attractions, including the Musée de Louvre, Notre-Dame, uh, Chartres Cathedral. I've been doing pretty good at the French up until I got this line. And the Chateau de Chambord covers El Delicite Maria. Okay, it's a bunch of stuff. It's words I can't pronounce. It's just a bunch of places in France. DK Eyewitness Travel Guide France is a detailed, easy-to-use guide designed to help you create your own unique trip. Traveling with kids? Try our DK uh, Eyewitness Guide, Family Guide to France. I can't say that one. About DK Eyewitness Travel. For 25 years, DK's beautifully practical eyewitness guides have been combing inspiring ideas and expert advice with easy-to-read maps and vivid photography to inform and enrich your holiday. This year, they have been given... A stunning new look 
that you will love even more. DK is the world's leading illustrated reference publisher, producing beautifully designed books for adults and children in over 120 countries. Let's read the price. <clears throat> There's two of them. Known dot 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 for its four color maps, photos, and illustrations. <laughs> I've never said that to myself. I've never looked at anything, a coffee table book or anything. I said, oh, yes, this is known for its four color maps, photos, and illustrations. The TK Eyewitness Guides are extremely user-friendly for travelers who want their information delivered in a concise, visual way. That's from the Chicago Tribune. So, take that seriously. What does the Philadelphia Inquirer have to say? The best option... Dot, dot, dot. Color photos, maps, and diagrams bring the place to life. I sort of feel like they were told to give praise on this, and they were given some uh, talking points, which is definitely the color photos and maps. So there you go. Uh, oh, about DK Travel. I'm like, really excited about DK Travel. Like, I for some reason want to know more about why they call themselves DK. What does DK stand for? But over here on the side, it says DK was founded in London in 1974 and is now the world leading illustrated reference publisher and a member of the Penguin Random House Division of Bertelsmann. DK publishes highly visual photographic nonfiction for adults and children. DK produces content for dot 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 and you can learn more about DK. I don't really care. Well, maybe I want to click on it. I want to know what DK stands for. Don and Karen. Dreyfus Cuckold. Wait. DK Travel, about the author. So it's an actual... Okay. Germany, China, aimed to inspire... Sorry, I'm not going to say here and read this whole thing to you. Children's List showcases. Fantastic store for information. Children, toddlers, and babies... They have for toddlers and babies travel guides. DK covers everything from animals and the human body to homework help and craft activities together with a impressive list of licensing titles, <laughs> including the best-selling Lego books. DK acts as the parent company for alpha books, publishers of the idiots guide series. <laughs> okay. Well, that was fun. Let's get back in it. Uh, oh, there we are. Here, the shouting and the cries of order, order drowned his voice. And he stood disdainfully till the din had somewhat subsided. He waved his hand <clears throat> to include all of them, turned to his own comrades and said, Listen to the bellowing of the well-fed beasts. Pandemonium broke out again. The speaker rapped for order and glanced expectantly at the officers in the doorways. There were cries of sedition, and a great, rotund New York member began shouting, Antichrist, at Ernest. Oh, not Antichrist, <laughs> anarchist. <laughs> uh, it would have been better if it was Antichrist. I was kind of impressed by that, but that was just me making stuff up. And Ernest was not pleasant to look at. No, I'm sure he's not. Every fighting fiber of him was quivering, and his face was the face of a fighting animal. Withdrawal 
He was cool and collected. Remember, he said, probably telling them that some sort of thing he's going to be right about later, in a voice that made itself heard above the din, that you, that as you, show mercy now to the proletariat, someday will that same proletariat show mercy to you. The cries of sedition and anarchist redoubled. Uh, in this ebook, anarchist is cut off with an A-N dash, then the next line is archist. So I'm not a complete idiot for saying antichrist. I just got it wrong. But it's like twice the same way. I know that you will not vote for this bill, Ernest went on. You have received the command from your masters to vote against it, and yet you called me anarchist? You, who have destroyed the government of the people and who have shamelessly who shamelessly flaunt your scarlet shame in public places. Call me anarchist. I do not believe in hellfire and brimstone. But in moments like this, I regret my unbelief. Nay, in moments like this, I almost do believe. Surely there must be a hell. For in no less a place could it be possible for you to receive punishment adequate to your crimes. So long as you exist... There is a vital need for a hellfire in the cosmos. That's something I should say to somebody I work with. There was a movement in the doorways. Ernest, the speaker, all the members turned to see. Why do you not call your soldiers in, Mr. Speaker, and bid them do their work? Ernest demanded. They should carry out your plan with expedition. There are their plans afoot, was the retort. That is why the soldiers are present. Our plans, I suppose, Ernest sneered, assassination or something kindred. But at the word assassination, the uproar broke out again. Ernest could not make himself heard, but he remained on his feet waiting for a lull. Yeah, because he he's got to make sure people definitely can hear him because he cannot stop talking. And then it happened. From my place in the gallery, I saw nothing except the flash of the explosion. The roar of it filled my ears, and I saw Ernest reeling and falling in the swirl of smoke. I'm going to take a little break. I like to imagine that he was going to do a, ma a magician's exit, where he was going to drop a smoke bomb and then disappear real quick, and it probably, probably backfired somehow. And the soldiers rushing up at all sides. His comrades were on their feet. Wild with anger, capable of any violence, but Ernest steadied himself for a moment and waved his arms for silence. It is a plot, his voice rang out in warning to his comrades. Do nothing or you will be destroyed. Then he slowly sank down. Oh, is this the death of Ernest? And the soldiers reached him. The next moment soldiers were clearing the galleries and I saw no more. Though he was my husband, I was not permitted to get to him. When I announced who I was, I was promptly placed under arrest, and at the same time were arrested all socialist congressmen in Washington, including the unfortunate Simpson, who lay ill with typhoid fever in his hotel. I don't remember Simpson. Uh, it's been a while. The trial was prompt and brief. The men were foredoomed. The wonder was that Ernest was not executed. This 
was a blunder on the part of the oligarchy, and a costly one. But the oligarchy was too confident in those days. It was drunk with success, and little did it dream that small handful of heroes had within them the power to rocket to its foundations. Tomorrow, when the Great Revolt breaks out and all the world resounds with the tramp, tramp of the millions, the oligarchy will realize, and too late, how mightily the band of heroes has grown. As a nah, revolutionist myself, as, as one on the inside who knew the hopes and fears and secret plans of the revolutionists, I am fitted to answer, as very few are, the charge that they were guilty of exploding the bomb in Congress. But I could say flatly, without qualification or doubt of any sort, that the socialists in Congress and out had no hand in the affair. Who threw the bomb, we do not know. But one thing we are absolutely sure of is that we did not throw it. On the other hand, there is evidence to show that the Iron Heel was responsible for the act. So one thing that really kind of weirds me out about this, this is a story. <laughs> it's completely made up. And so instead of trying to put human faces on anything or anyone in this story, uh, like you learn about Ernest as a person with flaws and motivations and that kind of stuff, same with uh, Avis and the dad, you kind of don't. They're just sort of uh, chess pieces being moved around. Uh, it, even in this fictional story, they can't say that like the bomb was thrown by someone Ernest had slighted in the past that's sort of like a growing concern or anything along those lines. There's no humans involved here. Uh, it's just the oligarchy. And even so, in here, they're trying to speculate that it probably wasn't the socialists and it's most likely the oligarchy. He's writing the story. He should know for sure. <laughs> and it's, This whole book is just driving me crazy. It's like a, it's like reading the testimony. I guess that's the point. The testimony of someone who's experienced this and not knowing all the answers. But he's writing the book. He knows all the answers. Give us... Okay, I'm done. Of course, we cannot prove this. Our conclusion is merely presumptive. <laughs> but here are such facts as we do know. It had been reported to the Speaker of the House by Secret Service agents of the government that the Socialist Congressmen were about to resort to terroristic tactics that they had decided upon the day when their tactics would go into effect. This day was the very day of the explosion. Wherefore, the capital had been packed with troops in anticipation. Since we knew nothing about the bomb, and since a bomb actually was exploded, and since the authorities had prepared in advance for the explosion, it is only fair to conclude that the Iron Heel did know. Furthermore... We charge that the Iron Heel was guilty of the outrage. Oh, it's just page after page of trying to convince us it's the Iron Heel. <laughs> and that the Iron Heel planned and perpetuated the outrage for the purpose of foisting the guilt on our shoulders and so bringing about our destruction. From the speaker, the warning leaked out to all the creatures in the house that wore the scarlet livery. They knew... While Ernest was speaking, that some violent act was to be committed, and to do them justice, they honestly believed that the act was to be committed by the socialists. <laughs> At the trial, and still with honest belief, several testified to having seen Ernest prepare to throw the bomb. Oh, the magician's exit. And that it exploded prematurely. Yeah. 
He, uh, he didn't practice it well enough. Of course, they saw nothing of the sort. In the fervid imaginations of fear, they thought they saw. That was all. As Ernest said at the trial, oh, there's a trial afterwards, does it stand to reason if I were going to throw a bomb that I should elect to throw a feeble little squib like the one that was thrown? There wasn't enough powder in it. It made a lot of smoke, but hurt no one except me. It exploded right at my feet, and yet it did not kill me. Believe me, when I get to throwing bombs, I'll do damage. There'll be more than smoke in my petards. Now, you ruined your own dramatic sentence with the word petards. In return, it was argued by the prosecution that the weakness of the bomb was a blunder on the part of the socialists, just as it... Its premature explosion, caused by Ernest's losing his nerve and dropping it, was a blunder. And to clinch the argument, there were the several congressmen who testified to having seen Ernest fumble and drop the bomb. As for ourselves, not one of us knew how the bomb was thrown. Ernest told me that the fraction of an instant before it exploded, he both heard and saw it strike at his feet. He testified to this at the trial but no one believed him. Besides, the whole thing, in popular slang, was, quote, cooked up, unquote. The Iron Heel had made up its mind to destroy us, and there was no withstanding it. There's a saying that truth will out. I have come to doubt that saying. Nineteen years have elapsed, and despite our untiring efforts, we have failed to find the man who really did throw the bomb. It would be kind of cool if at the end of the story you find out Ernest did it. Like, there's his frailty and his weakness, that he wants to be right to the point where he actually throws a lame little bomb on himself. But I have a feeling that's not going to pan out. Uh, undoubtedly, he was some emissary of the Iron Heel but he has escaped detection. We have never got the slightest clue, C-L-E-W, to his identity. And now, at this late date, nothing remains but for the affair to take its place among the mysteries of history. Well, that wasn't good. What did we learn here today? Uh, we learned that Ernest is trying to pass a bill for poor people, and each bill that he tries to pass is uncreatively named. I think he would probably do better if he came up with a cool title for it, like Operation Feed the Poor or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> he may or may not have thrown a bomb on himself. The author doesn't know. Uh... All the socialists get arrested, even Avis, for being the wife. There's a trial later, and he's accused of throwing his own bomb, which I like to think is the magician's escape. Uh, Ernest wants hell to be real, just to punish his enemies for no other reason, just to punish his enemies. He's fine with heaven being real, but it's ancillary to what he really wants, which is hell to be real, just so he can punish his enemies, which means that he gets to pick who gets to go in there. <clears throat> and we get the best quote so far. 
besides that horrible poem, which really stands out, uh, the best quote is, So long as you exist, there is a vital need for hellfire in the cosmos. Which I'm going to save for the next meeting I have, where my co-workers are being turds. So I hope you enjoyed that, this installment of uh, Glenn's Chapters. <laughs> I gotta think of a good name. Maybe Glenn's Chapters is the one I want to go with. Uh, yeah, Literary Glenn or Glenn's Chapters. I'll figure this out, but in either case, I have been obediently yours, Glenn Nuzzles. Oh! Books of Glenn. Uh, I'll think about it. <laughs>